Chapter Eight of *The Lady from Nowhere* by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Chapter Eight, Mister Prain, Solicitor. When Gebb left Parge, he intended to go down to Norminster with as little delay as possible and look over Kirkstone Hall. There he hoped to learn further details of Miss Gilmar's life, and to ascertain, if possible whether she had other enemies besides the man she had condemned to lifelong imprisonment. Owing to her grasping disposition and penurious mode of life, it was probable that she had been extremely unpopular, and it might be that amongst those who disliked her might be found one who had carried the feeling so far as to kill her. On considering the circumstances of the case, Gebb could not bring himself to believe that Dean was the assassin. All the same, he was anxious to ascertain the hiding-place of the convict, and make certain of his innocence of this second crime. With the first, which was before his time, he had nothing to do. On second thoughts, however, the detective judged it would be wiser to call on Mr. Prain beforehand, and learn his opinion on the matter. Also, Gebb wished to discover why the solicitor had not come forward to identify the body of Miss Gilmar, from the description of the yellow boudoir, so often referred to in the papers, he must have been aware that the so-called Miss Ligram was none other than Ellen Gilmar. If so, why had he not assisted the police to trace the woman's past history? It was mainly to elucidate this point, which might be an important one in solving the mystery, that Gebb called at the office in Beacon Lane. Mr. Prain proved to be a small, lean-faced man, with a sharp pair of eyes and a hard-looking mouth. He was neatly and spotlessly dressed in the plainest fashion, and his office, a somewhat dingy place, was as clear and trim as himself. When Gebb sent in his card, Mr. Prain had only to glance at the name to know that his visitor was the Scotland Yard detective, and told the clerk to show him in at once. It was with his hard little face set like a mask that Prain received the officer of the law, for he had quite expected sooner or later to receive such a visit, and was not unprepared. "'You wish to see me, Mr. Gebb?' said the solicitor, in a low, crisp voice. "'Yes, sir, in a case you dealt with twenty years ago.' "'Oh, then you have no question to ask about the case of to-day,' said Prain, composedly, and he darted a sharp look at his visitor, to see how the shot told. "'Do you know my errand?' asked Gebb, somewhat uncomfortably, for he was by no means pleased to find that the little solicitor was prepared for his reception, and could not conceive why it should be so. "'Yes, Mr. Gebb, I do. If you had not called on me, it is probable that I should have paid you a visit.' "'It is two weeks since the crime was committed, Mr. Prain,' so you have had ample time to call. No doubt, returned Prain, dryly, but it is so chanced that I was abroad in Italy. However, when I saw the description of the yellow boudoir, I hastened back at once. You guessed by the description of the yellow room that the murdered woman was Miss Gilmar? I did. But may I ask how you found it out? An ex-detective told me. He traced her identity by the same means as you did, but for his recollection of the room I should have known nothing. "'Oh, so the yellow boudoir gave Parge the clue,' said Prain, thoughtfully. "'Yes, 
But how did you guess that I referred to Parge? He was the detective employed by the prosecution to hang my client. But he did not succeed, for Dean still lives. Ah, does he? Do you know where he is to be found? asked Gebb sharply. No, replied Prain, shaking his head. I know that he escaped about four years ago, and that Miss Gilmar, out of fear of him, left Kirkstone Hall, lest he should kill her. I know no more. You know one thing, at least, retorted Gebb, astonished at the coolness of the man, that Dean killed Miss Gilmar. I deny that, said Prain, sharply. Then, after a pause, he added, Do you know why I came back to England on reading about her death? No, I don't. How should I? And why I intended to call on you? No. You'll have to answer your own questions, Mr. Prain. Then I'll tell you, said the solicitor, slowly. I wish to find out if Miss Gilmar left a confession behind her, stating why and how she killed John Kirkstone. It was for that reason that I returned so quickly. Miss Gilmar killed Kirkstone, cried Gebb, thinking of his own suspicions. Why, even your unhappy client did not accuse her. My unhappy client, as you call him, was a fool, retorted Prane, coolly. He thought that Laura Kirkstone was guilty, whereas I am sure that the housekeeper killed her master. But I could not bring the crime home to her, and Dean was condemned to penal servitude on account of a murder which I am certain he did not commit. When I heard of his escape, I thought he might find out Miss Gilmore and make her confess. He always intended to escape, if possible, for that purpose. Gebb thought for a moment. Perhaps he killed her, after all, because she would not confess, said he, with some hesitation. No, replied Prain. Dean was wild and wasteful, and, between you and me, Mr. Gebb, not altogether as well behaved as he might have been. But I am sure that he was not the man to commit a murder. Believe me, he is as innocent of this second crime as he was of the first. Well, said Gebb, thoughtfully. I have my doubts regarding his guilt in both cases. I agree with you, going by the story told me by Parge, that Miss Gilmar killed Kirkstone. But who killed Miss Gilmar? Some unpleasant person, for the sake of the diamonds, returned Prain promptly. The diamonds? Yes. Miss Gilmar took possession of Laura Kirkstone's jewels, and amongst them were some valuable diamonds— I read in the papers that Miss Gilmar wore these diamonds nightly, and that when her dead body was discovered the diamonds were gone. True enough, replied Gebb. It might be a case of robbery, as you say. But if the murderer tries to dispose of these diamonds by sale or pawning, I'll be able to catch him. I may tell you, said Prain, after some reflection, that the most valuable of Laura's jewels was a diamond necklace which I see by the reports in the papers was stolen by the murderer. Now, that necklace was given to Laura by Dean, and Miss Gilmar had no right to it. But how could Dean, who was almost bankrupt, afford to give Laura a diamond necklace? The necklace was a family jewel, said the solicitor, quickly, and I have a description of it. This I shall have copied and give to you. It may assist you to trace the necklace." and thereby snare the murderer, answered Gebb. Thank you, Mr. Prain. 
the description you speak of will be very serviceable. And now I wish to ask you a few questions about Miss Gilmar, if you don't mind replying to them. Why should I mind? retorted Prain, raising his eyebrows. Parge gave me to understand that you were as close as wax, said Gibb, pointedly. I use his own words. Prain shrugged his shoulders. I don't deny it, he said quietly. Why should I? Twenty years ago I was trying to save Dean from being hanged, while Parge was doing his best to place the rope round the man's neck. Naturally, I was on my guard, and refused to tell Parge all I knew. Your position is a different one, Mr. Gebb, as, with me, you desire to learn the name of Miss Gilmar's murderer. I am quite at your service, and you can ask me what you please. Thank you. Then tell me who inherits Miss Gilmar's property. Do you mean her real or personal estate? asked Prain. Both, replied Gebb, promptly. Well, then, you must know that the Kirkstone estates were entailed, but the entail ended with that first murder. So I heard from Parge, Mr. Prain, in the male line. Yes, in the male line. Afterwards, by the will of the Kirkstone who bought them, and who lived some hundred and fifty years ago, they pass on through the female line. Now, the male line died out with John Kirkstone, so that the estates passed by the will to the female line, represented by Laura. When she died, Ellen Gilmar inherited through her mother, who was Kirkstone's aunt on the paternal side. Now that Miss Gilmar is dead, the estates pass to John Alder, a barrister, who inherits through his mother, a distant cousin of the Kirkstones. If he died, Edith Wedderburn would inherit. Who is she? Another cousin? Yes, even more distant than Alder. She is now at Kirkstone Hall, looking after it for Miss Gilmar, who placed her there. So far as the personal estate is concerned, Miss Gilmar can leave it by will to whomsoever she pleases. Have you the will? Yes, but I can't open it save in the presence of those likely to inherit, Miss Wedderburn and Alder, in short, the relatives. Whom do you think the money is left to? It's not my place to say, said Prain, with sudden stiffness. Gebb saw that the little solicitor knew the contents of the will, but he was bound by professional etiquette, and could not disclose them. <clears throat> well, he said, covering his disappointment with a cough, we may leave that out of the question. Tell me about Miss Wedderburn. I have told you, replied Prain sharply. She is the caretaker of Kirkstone Hall, and is very poor. Is she very pretty? Extremely pretty. Ho, ho, said Gebb in a jocular tone. In that case she must have lovers. She has two, answered Prain dryly. One is John Alder. What? The heir? Yes. If she marries him, she will still be mistress of Kirkstone Hall. But she won't, said Prain, rubbing his chin with a vexed air, for the simple reason that she likes her other lover better. And who is the other lover? An artist called Arthur Ferris. He is poor, but handsome. Good looks won't make the pot boil, said Gebb, sententiously. Well, I'm not particularly anxious for further information about her love affairs. What I wish to know is, if Miss Wedderburn corresponded with Miss Gilmar. I can't tell you that. I don't know. Do you think Miss Wedderburn is aware of her cousin's death? asked Gebb, putting the question in another form. It's improbable, as she would have written to me on the subject had she known. 
By the way, is the body buried? Of course. It is two weeks since the murder. True. I forgot, said Prain, thoughtfully. I wonder if Alder knows about her death. He can't know, unless he traced her by the yellow boudoir. Oh, Alder doesn't know much about that room and its crime, as he belongs to the younger generation, and the story is almost forgotten. However, I'll write to him on the subject. It is necessary that he should learn his position as speedily as possible, if only on account of the will. That is your concern, said Gebb, rising. Still, you might arrange for me to have an interview with him, as he might throw some light on the subject. I fail to see how he can, said Prain, raising his eyebrows. Miss Gilmar never corresponded with him during her travels. If anyone will know about her, it will be Miss Wedderburn. Ah, I'm going down to see her, said Gebb, putting on his hat. I'll have a look at the original of the yellow boudoir at the same time. I say, said Prain, as the detective moved towards the door. Well, replied Gebb, turning, if you see Edith, ask her about her lover. Which of them, Alder or Ferris, said Gebb, stolidly. Don't mention the name of either, repeated Prain, slowly, but ask her about her lover. Then, well, you'll see what will come of your question. The detective gazed steadily at the solicitor. "'What do you mean?' he demanded, struck by the significance of the man's words and look. "'You'll find that out when she answers.' "'How will she answer?' demanded Gebb, quite mystified. "'Ah,' said Prain, with a long breath, "'you ask and see.'" End of chapter 8